Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, an irregular set of conversations with the most interesting people in marketing, technology, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech weekly newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers really important shifts in the marketing technology space. People who work in some of the world's largest media tech and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I am joined by John Go. He is a leading MarTech practitioner in the APAC region, and he's currently serving as the automation and audience lead for Medibank Australia. John's career as a practitioner in the marketing technology team builder has spanned more than a decade and roles such as leading the MarTech function for a number of blue chip companies across the region and guiding the establishment of marketing technology platforms for one of Australia's largest IT companies. He's very, very passionate about enabling diverse teams to deliver big projects for big brands. And today we're talking just about that, how to establish marketing technology from an enterprise environment. What does it take to acquire and implement MarTech from a practitioner's perspective? And what can we learn about building high-performing teams in an industry which is rapidly changing? And so now I give you John Go. Thanks. Thanks for the wonderful uh, introduction there, Juan. And look, and I'm really happy to be here. Um, you know, what a way to start the new year by, you know, having a great conversation with one of the thought leaders in the space. Well, happy new year to you, John. And let's kick off by telling me about yourself. What got you into MarTech? Uh, from your background, you've held a number of really interesting roles in the enterprise space. How did you know that this was the path you wanted to take and how's it developed over the years? Yeah, look, and I think it's a really interesting question to start with because I think like a lot of MarTech folk, I landed in the space before I even realized it. You know, I started my career, you know, a long time ago, I think it was 20 years ago in the dot-com boom as a content producer. And, you know, back then you needed to be a jack of all trades. So, you know, by getting my, you know, jumping into the process, I got really, got a really early peek into the building blocks or how modern platforms are made. So, you know, with that start, I think fast forward a couple of years, what really got me into MarTech was, you know, working on projects. So, you know, coming into an enterprise, it's a constant state of, uh, you know, project-based transformation. And as part of a team member, I was kind of really struck by how unique the process of building new capability, you know, thinking like CRMs, quote portals, you know, repositories or email templates was really multifaceted and it wasn't just doing IT where you just build it, release it, give it to someone. You know, mm. being in the business, I think what I was really struck by was the fact that you had to be at the table with senior management because the customer and the finances mattered to the project. Mm. So I think that was where kind of light bulb moment for me went, oh my God, this is actually MarTech. And this was a, you know, this is a fantastic place to be because you weren't really doing IT, you weren't really kind of doing marketing, you were kind of doing customer facing stuff, but you had to be across everything. And I think that was really what hooked me. The work I was doing not only meant had direct outcome to the customer, but hey, you know, I was at the seat, you know, I was at the seat of the table with the senior managers talking about the impact of this new capability. So I think that's what really is, you know, kept me in it this long. Um, you know, the fact that it's a constant evolution. I've got to be scanning the external market, looking at vendors, looking at internal capability, 
looking at, you know, how do we even support these new things we're kicking out? So, you know, I think that's just been a wonderfully fertile space over the last 10 years and it still continues to grow. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's, it's wonderfully diverse in the kinds of things you need to think about. So for any sort of MarTech function, I think there's often, you know, you have to think about the creative execution, the customer experience. You have to think about the capability of the technology and how to build skills and, um, and the maturity to actually execute that technology. You have to look at the, the uh, commercial rewards of implementing such technology and, and, uh, and actually delivering experiences. But then you have this sort of substrate of a constant change. Uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, you started out in the dot-com boom. Uh, you know, that was a very, very different uh, portion of history than where we're in now. And companies are always facing changes in consumer behaviors, whether it be social media or the way customers purchase, uh, personalization and, and the importance of delivering really relevant experiences for customers. You know, all of these things are, uh, it's just that substrate of change and you always have to kind of be ahead of things. And so it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. But I do want to hone in a little bit on, uh, I guess your work uh, establishing Ma MarTech function for uh, a number of different really high profile brands. Uh, I want to know what are some of the challenges when you're standing up, standing up tech in an enterprise industry and where have been some of those themes over the years uh, that you've picked up in terms of some of those key challenges that uh, leaders are facing in, in this space? Yeah, look, I think, you know, again, for me, working as an enterprise, um, you know, in an enterprise function, I think, Primarily, it's all about the customer. You know, MarTech has a unique place in the tech stack because it's directly linked most of the time to customer outcomes. And I think the biggest issue, I think, both technically and ethically, is protecting customer data. And I think that's the biggest challenge I've seen for, you know, a lot of enterprise organizations is how do we protect customer data and privacy? Because quite often you can access a whole number of data points, which brings, you know, a whole number of interesting integration problems uh, or, you know, opportunities. But just because you can, you know, access that doesn't mean it's ethical or conducive to a, you know, a very honest relationship with customers. So I think that's going to be a theme that, you know, if it's not already emerged, it will continue to evolve because I think MarTech practitioners will become the forefront of you know, becoming data and privacy custodians for a lot of businesses. Um, and look, and with that as well, I think it's also then working with the technology teams, the enterprise technology teams to having to, to, to deal with, you know, legacy systems, mm -hmm. data and outdated operational models. You know, I think with all apologies to my, um, you know, to the IT folk out there, but some <laughs> of the operational models just don't work for modern MarTech because it's moved too quickly. Mm. Very interesting. I, I would say the privacy challenge, uh, I would agree that, that it is front and center and it's only building momentum as well. Uh, if you look over the past year, mm. we've had the introduction of uh, a lot of privacy controls from Apple, particularly in app um, and uh, how you use the iPhone. You've had Google uh, commit to deprecating cookies You've yep. had a number of big platform changes in the privacy space. You now have advertisers asking the question, 
what is going to be the next tracking technology that we can use across different media properties? Is it going to be something like an unique identifier 2.0? Is it going to be contextual advertising? And there has just been a furious storm of change and um, almost I would say radical thinking in the privacy space. So you have, you have technology platforms that are changing how brands can navigate customer data. That's coming from the tech uh, sector. But then you have regulation coming from governments as well. You know, the other, the other front on this, I think, when it comes to privacy and, and how critical I think it is becoming for practitioners is that uh, regulation is becoming a really big part of most MarTech conversations. GDPR Absolutely. happened years ago, uh, but you know we have new regulation that just happened in California and the US. Uh, the Australian government here in the APAC region have uh, established what's called a digital identity framework. Um, and then we've got a lot of government bodies also suggesting uh, by doing consumer research that customers are also wanting to, uh, they, they definitely want to have their data protected. They want controls to be private, to be private and secure. They want to have transparency about what they're giving to brands as well. And if you yep. think about so perhaps some of the brands you've worked for, they are quite data rich. Uh, you do know some very unique things about those customers as well. Um, so it's a very interesting challenge. I mean, uh, what have you done in the past year? Uh, and I'm just curious about that challenge, about thinking about privacy and how's your thinking changed over perhaps the last 12 months? Well, yeah, my thinking has kind of moved back and forth about this, you know, in the last year, because for us, it's not about acquiring new platforms per se, because I feel like you know, it's more around consolidating what we have. And that's been a theme, you know, in the practice I lead at the moment. Um, you know, it's really consolidating our data points, consolidating our integration framework so that, you know, we can get a consistent view of the customer. So I think nothing much has changed in as, in as much as how we, you know, execute. I think the primary thing is really kind of partnering with our legal and privacy teams to get them aboard, you know, best practice to get them aboard, you know, current thinking and really kind of understand their point of view. Because, you know, I think both sides of the fence, the technology, the data and the, um, you know, and, and, and the legal and privacy folk, everyone's got a very unique view on this because it's been such a, you know, it's such a far-reaching and fragmented change, you know, in, 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 in the broader world. And as you mentioned, you know, GDPR, you know, other, other legislative frameworks that have come in, you know, I think it's quite confusing. And to add to that, the vendors, you know, they've come in, you know, multiple vendors have come in all saying they can do different things or the same thing. Now, making sense of that from a feature set point of view has been challenging enough, let alone throwing a legal and privacy framework on that. So I think for us, the theme is about preserving, you know, customer privacy as the kind of primary driver in our practice. So it's decluttering how we go to market, decluttering you know, potentially all the data points that we don't need and really kind of creating a neat little box around it and really partnering with, you know, other teams in the business to kind of come up with a consistent framework. Mm -hmm. I think that's been a big thing for us in the last, um, you know, 12 months mm -hmm. as, you know, the practice I lead at Medibank is looking for its next evolutionary leap uh, with things like, you know, CDP and what we do next with our DMP. That's really interesting. I 
I, I find that when I'm working with um, enterprise brands, there seems to be a bit of a gap. And I think there's an ethical framework gap because uh, to your point, you've got uh, technology vendors saying they're talking, I think, at more of the level of trade-offs. So mm. we can't use this kind of data now, but you can use this other data source so that you can meet your business objectives, whether that be revenue or um, lifetime value for a customer or whatever that, that metric is that business is trying to chase. And But that's at a trade-off level. But who's thinking about it from an ethical framework perspective? So, you know, what is our stance on consumer privacy? What is our brand message around consumer privacy? And how does that start infusing into these different departments and how they, um, they orient themselves towards that? Because I look at a company like Apple and, you know, last year they had billboards in most major cities with a photo of an iPhone and it says this, this device is 100% private and they're making a brand and a marketing position uh, to say that we, your data is going to be safe with us. And I think about it and I'm like, okay, a lot of companies that are catching up and following the wake of these privacy changes uh, I think perhaps there is a bit of a gap there in terms of the sort of creating that ethical framework around what is our position philosophically about how do we use data um, from a customer perspective and what are we going to protect and what are we going yep. to expose and what makes sense for us. Um, but it's very interesting because I think you're right. A lot of this is alignment. A lot of this is working with technology vendors to understand the trade-offs um, and then creating that sense of this is well, this is where we draw a line in the sand. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Did you Have you had to draw a line in the sand at some point or is that sort of an evolving conversation? Um, yeah, I think it is a slightly evolving conversation. I think the line in the sand for us is acquiring, you know, or thinking about acquiring new stuff. And I think mm. we can't, and this, and this is, you know, part of the responsibility of working in a large organisation is you can't just add to your MarTech footprint anymore. You know, I think, you know, working in a, the beauty of working in a much smaller organization and a startup environment is the fact that you can continually trial and experiment with new platforms, mm. add an integration point there, subtract one there, see what happens to the customer experience. Um, I think for a larger organization, there's a lot more, there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, you know, ethical concerns or ethical considerations with the kinds of, kinds of data you start to use. Mm. So I think for us, it's really kind of pulling back from we need more or we need to add to the feature set. I think it's more around leveraging what's already there and, you know, tr starting to rapidly rapidly test different permutations of the customer experience um, and understanding what our customers, um, you know, what our customers react to and what, what they don't react to. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, things like, uh, you know, suppressing media um, from particular journeys or, you know, adding different calls to action. So I think it's, it's that more granular level of um, experience orchestration rather than kind of large seismic changes to, you know, to, to, to the MarTech feature set. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, way of thinking about it because I would often say that, you know, for every new MarTech challenge, there's always going to be a vendor to say there's a feature for that, you know. Uh, the feature will, will meet the challenge somehow. But uh, what I'm hearing from you, John, is saying, well, it's actually not, about a new feature it's a new way of thinking about this challenge and it may not mean acquiring new technology per se 
but it's more about how do we use the assets we already have, use those platforms we already have, and think differently about how we use them. You know, the working with a number of brands across the APAC region and some global as well. I think some of the most successful brands just think about their technology stack in fundamentally different ways than what vendors would say uh, you should think about it. You know, the amount of hacks I've seen and workarounds for certain types of use cases, you know, it's mind blowing because it's they depart, they're taking the best bits from certain vendors and they're integrating within their ecosystem to make it uh, to actually work for uh, what they're trying to achieve. And, and that's what I'm hearing from you, John. It's about thinking differently about the technology, thinking differently about your MarTech stack and how to get the most value out of it. Um, so I think on that point, um, it, I think I want to talk about uh, innovation just briefly yeah. because. Um, I think there's this false dichotomy in the industry about, you know, the startups, the emerging technology companies, uh, they're the ones doing the disruption. And the big brands are the big dinosaurs that, you know, they don't move quickly. They don't uh, put new things in the market uh, rapidly. They're not uh, like iterating and experimenting at, at a fast speed and, and creating disruption. But, you know, I used to think that that was the case, but I'm actually thinking now that's a bit of a false dichotomy. I think there's a bit more blend between that. I think I'm seeing some large brands uh, doing some very innovative things and disrupting even some of the smaller companies that are moving faster. And so um, what I am interested in you and, and in your career and that you've actually been able to bring things to scale pretty quickly and being able to uh, create some of that innovation with large enterprise environments. What are some of the advantages do you think there are for large brands when it comes to building MarTech capability, doing it quickly, doing it at scale and, and creating new opportunities in the market? And look, it's a fantastic you know, question. And I think it's that's one that's really dear to my heart. And I'm actually nodding vigorously here because I think, absolutely, I think large doesn't mean cumbersome. Large doesn't mean, you know, what's the opposite of agile, clumsy. Um, I think, you know, there, there is, a, there is a, a benefit in having the large scale. And I think, you know, to our point previously, I think enterprise brands have a wonderful scale of scope and data to, you know, run rapid tests and experiments. You don't need to worry about your entire customer base, um, you know, when you are, you know, creating an say a very simple, you know, A-B test, you know, you can actually hive off part of the customer experience and really kind of work to refine that quite rapidly because you do have that, you know, underlying scale. And assuming, of course, your privacy and consent is intact, then you have that advantage of being able to segment your marketing or segment your customer experience to really kind of rapidly scale up tests and, you know, very rapidly because, you know, you already have that underlying scale. Whereas, you know, at a, you know, and I've worked at much smaller organizations where, you know, the real consider the real concern is if we stuff up this test, half our customer base will leave us because you don't have, you have no margin mm. for error. So I think, mm. you know, that's a that's a underlying, you know, I think that's that's the advantage. The other thing, you know, off the top of my head is, and I don't think this is something people realize is there is a wonderful wealth of internal support at a large organization. Mm. You know, yes, there's a lot of people. Yes, there's a bit of bureaucracy, but you've got subject matter experts everywhere. HR, change management, IT app support, you know, finance, legal. There's always someone who can support you from a unique subject matter expertise. Whereas in a startup, and I've been in a startup, you've got to figure out everything yourself. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree that there's, like I think about, um, I think about the the size of a particular market globally, and how that changes 
how certain companies will uh, will invest in their types of technology and enact some of that change. So, so say for example, you're working at a brand in uh, say China or the US where the market is massive. You're talking hundreds of millions of people. Uh, compare that with something like Australia where you have what, 28 to 30 million people. So uh, there's an interesting thought experiment here about, well, if you can, you know, if you've got a bigger market, then uh, startups actually have bigger audiences to work with. Whereas in the uh, the Australian APAC region, it's a smaller market. So you have to actually sweat your assets more to get more juice, squeeze more juice out of lemon, so to speak, and, and actually Absolutely. use a smaller audience. And, and I think that actually creates a very interesting condition for innovation because you're doing more with less in terms of audience size. And that audience is more critical as well. You know, you can't just find another million customers um, in Australia, you know, you, you just can't, uh, you know, the, the total addressable market is only so large. And so I think it creates a very interesting um, sort of dynamic of innovation. I think of companies like Zero, you know, the cloud software company that does accounting and a number of different sort of financial tools, you know, they started in New Zealand, you know, so if you go Australia, you know, how big is that population? New Zealand is like microscopic in comparison to that. And then compare that to the US or somewhere like China. But they were able to create this really innovative technology and disrupt other players in the market because I think they were working uh, more with less, um, you know, and they were really trying to get really close to their customer as well. And so I think you do have a really interesting perspective on that particular topic because, yeah, it's understanding. Well, yeah, we've only got so many customers to deal with here. Um, and, you know, the larger brands do, are able to tap into that larger customer base um, in comparison to startups, particularly in the, uh, the Australia region and APAC region. Um, but what, what are your thoughts absolutely. on that? Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Oh, look, you know, absolutely agree. I think, you know, Zero has done a wonderful job in, you know, being able to take this proposition to market and then expand it you know, globally, um, you know, and using their, you know, they've had the unique opportunity to use that underlying agility and, and, and scale it up because they've got, you know, fast, flexible platform that they can build on. So and I think, you know, large organisations, um, you know, have had this a unique opportunity to have that scale. And I think for the MarTech practitioners who work in sort of enterprise organisations thinking, okay, well, how can we move quickly? It's looking at, you know, now medium to large type organizations scaling up and taking examples of that. So, you know, absolutely in Australia, we are, um, you know, we, we have a unique market. You know, most of the big brands in Australia have a very unique market position because, you know, it's, it's a very fixed pool. But then thinking about APAC, thinking about, um, you know, adding JPAC on top of that, you've got enormous scale out there waiting to be tapped in. So I think it's, it's a matter of, Un, you know, I think it's harnessing those pockets of audiences and really kind of being able to then drive innovation, you know, with, within, within different segments. And that's what that's the true power of the enterprise brand is the ability for, you know, a MarTech practitioner to be able to see that, see this where, where scale lies, where scale doesn't lie, and then actually leverage those, rev, leverage the unique characteristics of those 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 pockets mm. uh, yeah we do, do we have to work harder at segmentation i think because um if you let's say you work you're operating in um let's say you're working in a health technology business in the us you know you've got access to millions of customers segmentation 
may not be such a big deal because it's just you just open the floodgates almost you know with, when you're doing campaigns or you're running experiments you know you're driving paid media you know you can just open the floodgates right because there's so many customers but we're in australia i think you're right that when it comes to when it comes to targeting and segmentation um it does become very critical to truly understand your customer segments and what what they're after um because that's you know, there's only so many of them out there. And so I, I think I follow the logic quite well there is that, yeah, it does make a big difference uh, how big your total addressable market is uh, when it comes to uh, building MarkTech capabilities. But I want to switch gears a little bit now. And I want to talk about building MarTech teams. And, you know, this is a topic that doesn't get a lot of a voice in the industry. You know, what does it take to actually mm. build a really high-functioning, cross-functional MarTech team? You know, should a, a, something like a MarTech team even exist? You know, do we call it different things in different brands, you know? Yeah. Um, and I find this topic really interesting. But, you know, I want to understand what's been your process around building MarTech capability teams? Um, what kind of skill sets do you look for? What kind of roles are you looking for in a company? And and that, how do you actually address building a practice out? You know, it's a big question, but yeah. um, but perhaps we can start with looking at, you know, what kind of skills you're looking for when building a team? Yeah, look, you know, and I think MarTech team is a, you know, is an interesting, um, you know, it's a very interesting topic because, you know, I've come from a place where there was one MarTech person or, you know, this wasn't even a MarTech person, happened to be a marketing person who understood how to run the CMS and then all of a sudden figured out, how to work with the um, CRM, you know that that was that was where Martech came from in a lot of businesses I've worked at. But I think it's evolved to the point where you know a lot of businesses are thinking, okay, we need a team of you know experts who can run this. So for me, the skills I'm looking for in establishing a Martech practice is you know versatility. You know I think it's um, it's not so much platform certified people because platforms change. But what doesn't change is the fact that, you know, you, you, you want to have versatile um, people who are keen to learn and understand the underlying mechanics of how to get something to a customer. So deliver a customer experience. So, you know, thinking about the ideal roles, I'm thinking, you know, campaign managers, content managers, um, content producers who have an appreciation for the underlying capability that allows them to deliver stuff to market. Because if you understand that, you've already got a leg up because you already understand the customer. So I'm really looking for those types of people who can tell me, hey, EDM goes out today or I need to do a blog post linked to you know, our social channels. And they can explain to me, okay, how, do, you know, how does that get delivered? And what are the pitfalls if that were to go wrong? So you know, that, that's, I think, some of the, you know, if, if the team doesn't exist, that's what I'd be looking for, you know, looking out for those types of people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think it's also that love of learning because, you know, to our earlier point, there's so much MarTech out there. So no one knows everything. So I'm looking out for people who love to learn because, you know, Dr. Google is the best at teaching everyone, you know, MarTech. <laughs> Because you know, yeah. got a problem? Google it. You know, it's you know, mm. it's it's just all that you know. There's people out there who've either solved it, have the same question, or you know, want the same answer. So you know, we're out there looking, learning, and really kind of collaboratively problem solving. And I think that's a hallmark of a high-performing team. Well, I came into a place 
there was a MarTech team there, the first thing I'd actually look for is, do these guys love solving problems together or are they pulling apart? Hmm. I, I once um, I ran a session for a, a bunch of um, front-end developers. This is a few years ago. And um, in that session, we were talking about, you know, career planning and things like that. And one of the junior engineers said, you know, I've just started putting on my CV um, highly proficient in Stack Overflow, you know, um, <laughs> like a highly proficient yeah. proficient in Google, right? Because yeah, yeah. right. Like a majority of the time, because the challenges are so unique, so new. Um, I, I think you know people like yourself. You don't have perhaps a mentor that's been through say 20 years of um, these particular disciplines because they didn't exist 20 years ago. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of, I, and I was on a call just um, on last, last week and I was talking to um, yeah, somebody who heads up a pretty big practice in the retail space. And I, and we were talking and I said, well, look, you know, with two years of COVID that just happened and all of the different, just a radical change in consumer behavior, we are working in such a novel, such a unique period in history, but the positive of that is that it's innovative and it's you learn a lot and you kind of build your career, which is awesome. But the the disadvantage is that it's very hard to find people to learn from. Mm. You know, like Good you can point. learn from, you know, you can learn from blog posts and from um, forums and things like that, which is great. And the ability to tap into that is awesome. But who's that person that's sort of sitting next to you in the office? Well, or sitting on sitting next to you in a Zoom call, perhaps remotely. And actually guiding you through, through some of these decisions. Like, who, who is that person? I mean, do they exist just yet? Yeah, maybe. I'm assuming that you, John, that, that you're doing that for a lot of people in your teams. Um, but, you know, there's an interesting aspect of a lack of mentorship because there's just a lack of, because of the change that's happened so quickly. Um, but I do want to come back to uh, some of the qualities. And I, I think you touched on something quite interesting there about, you know, when you're sitting down, perhaps you're interviewing a, a potential candidate. Uh and you're talking to them, it sounds to me like you're asking questions like, what's the creative execution? How do things work together technology-wise? Uh, but also, you know, what does a process look like? Where do things go right and go wrong? And I do find yeah. that, yeah. Uh, tell me, talk to me a bit about, about that process. Like, would that be a typical interview question that you would, uh, you would throw to a candidate? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think, you know, I think diversity of thought and being able to problem solve. And when, when I mean diversity, I mean um, diversity of, you know, platform problem solving, really kind of, you know, it's not just drop in vendor X and then you integrate with vendor Y, you know, quite frequently, you know, delivering a customer experience needs, you know, it, it's multifaceted. So what I look for is someone being able to articulate the total picture. So it's quite frequently, I'll give them a case study um, and, you know, talk about, you know, a MarTech stack or, a, or, or a, you know, an integration problem. So I'm really kind of not so much looking for, you know, specific qualifications in one platform or another. I'm looking for someone who's able to demonstrate the end-to-end -end thought process around it. And, you know, call out where, you know, potentially have the guts to call out where they knowledge gaps. Um, because again, we, you know, you can't know everything, but I want some, you know, I want those people to be able to, kind of draw me a picture mm. and you know talk to me how they how 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 a, how you either solve a problem or how you get something out to market with you know uh, with with multiple platforms you know potentially integrated together so you know it is that you know it's a creative problem solving that i really like to um probe and i think in the covid work from home case 
one of the questions I've started tossing in there is how do you deal with IT problems? Because, you know, it, it actually goes a long way to understand how someone can work under pressure remotely because, you know, you're just because you're relying on a 24 hour data batch doesn't mean it's going to come the next morning. Yeah. So <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, it's um, I find it really fascinating. Um, and I did mention this in a previous podcast about the pressure of uh, marketing teams to learn technology. Now, if you think yes. about it now, uh, marketing teams used to be probably 80% creative, 20% technical. And now that balance is shifting to probably 30% creative and 70% technical because of the amount of platforms they need to manage, understanding the technology and the data requirements, interfacing with product and digital IT teams. You know, uh, the marketers have to have the language around dealing with those different stakeholders, but they have to have some level of technology technology knowledge. You know, take, for example, and you mentioned before uh, with Medibank looking at CDPs, you know, understanding how CDP works can be a massive marketing unlock for a practitioner. Understanding how attributes work, how data is ingested, enriched, how you can activate it on a different channel, you know, that taking the time to learn those things can be a big, big difference in a mediocre marketer to a uh, an advanced marketer in this space because yes. you're understanding the technology, the data, and they're facilitating a use case or an experience for a customer. You have to bring the creative, the uh, the ideation, the, uh, the messaging, the deep understanding of a customer and bring that to bear on the technology. You have to harness the technology to make that happen. Now, to find people who can do both, that can sit down with a customer and understand their needs, their wants, their feelings, their behaviors, and then being able to translate that into something that is uh, that technology can implement and do that at scale is very hard to find. And it goes back to our previous point, but we're going through a lot of rapid change. And I think that sometimes, John, you're probably sitting on the other side of the table and you're thinking this person is a unicorn or this person's right because they can do those things. They can bring together a deep customer understanding and then use the technology, understand it and bring it together to facilitate an experience. And so I think that's, I think you're, you're really correct there. And to say that, you know, looking at people who can bring all those puzzle pieces together is a really big advantage when you're building a MarTech team. Um, but let's uh, let's actually move on. I think it's quite interesting. This The next sort of uh, topic that we want to raise here is that, um, you have been through a number of um, a pretty high-profile uh, MarTech acquisitions in this space. So large enterprise brands yep. going out to market and then acquiring technology um, to fit one of those puzzle pieces. Now, I want to understand how has your approach changed to acquiring marketing technology over time? So what does it look like uh, perhaps when you were starting out to what it looks like now, particularly with how many new vendors there are in the space? So, you know, if you look at anything like a Scott Brinker MarTech diagram, the super graphic, it went from, you know, hundreds of MarTech solutions to now more than 8,000. There's some estimates ranging into 15,000 different MarTech solutions out in the industry now. And so it's exploded with the amount of uh, options that you have out there. Uh, but what do you do when you're approaching acquiring marketing technology? How do you start thinking about assessing some of these vendors and, and how do you start mapping that to your company's needs and, and requirements? Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's great that you mentioned Scott Brinker because I think in the early days, for, especially for me, when trying to figure out what I was going to do in MarTech, you know, Scott Brinker keeps coming up and I'm like, well, I'm going to use his guide. 
uh, as, as a bit of a, you know, buyer's guide here because, you know, he's got all the vendors. And I think in the early days, it was very simply just buy it and try it, right? Because they weren't that many vendors, um, you know, half of the vendors were in America and some of them wouldn't even talk to you in Australia, to be honest, in, you know, and then when talking really early days, because, you know, the, that APAC region was just, you know, an evolving marketplace. I think it's very different now. It's a super complex marketplace, you know, as we point out, um, you know, multiple vendors. And I think the vendor complexity tends to work in favor of the vendor these days because, you know, it's confusing. Mm. So for me, it's now becoming a juggling act when it comes to vendor acquisition, right? You know, as because as a technologist, you always want to try new stuff. Um, but as a, you know, custodian of the data, as a champion of the customer, you really need to start now tempering that. And I've certainly changed the nature of our practice to start shifting the lens back to the customer to go, does this new piece of kit make it easier and simpler to interact with our brand? And I think that's the kind of the guidance that I start taking to it. We take the business and customer lens and go, is this new piece of kit going to be able to enhance our relationship with the customer? Um, you know, I think as a positioning statement, that is that seem that that you know that that's very effective in assessing marketing technology because mm. you know you, you you can't assess it on the on, on the feature set anymore you know the 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 the, the product the product pick list or the feature pick list mm. it's not going to cut it anymore because you know it's really going to make that relationship with the customer more difficult if you're trying to solve their problem by going through a you know a, a vendor's pdf so i think it's it's really us distilling the the needs of the customer and putting that over the lens of the acquisition you know and not saying that you shouldn't buy new tech absolutely i think you know as our systems you know as our needs evolve as our data evolves there's always a need for acquiring new bits of technology or enhancing what you already have to be able to then deliver to the customer but i think it's anchoring back to that customer need is the primary driver and it makes that discussion with senior management a whole more, lot more fruitful because you know the last thing you want, and as as you know, you and your listeners know, is as a Martech person, you know, you don't go up to the CFO and start talking to him about him or her about Martech because they're yeah, not yeah. going to get it. <laughs> so you know, they want to hear what's the financial outcome, how much do I need to spend, and you know, are we actually doing anything better for our customers if we mm-hmm. if we spend five, ten, fifteen million on this stuff? Mm-hmm. So I think that's you know. That's the and that's a wonderful tipping point or the balance point for all Martech professionals because we sit squarely in the middle of that. Mm, yes, right, right in the middle of the mess, as they say. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a fantastic um, framework I've been thinking about using um, with some of my uh, my training stuff, um, which is, uh, you know, what's the mess that we're in, and what's the mess we want to be in, you know? <laughs> so the idea is that, you know, there's always going to be some form of messiness in yes. uh, acquiring, implementing technology, you know? And so it's kind of like, which mess do you want to choose? You know, what's the ideal current state instead of the ideal future state? You know, what's the thing that like, we can see it now and just make, unlock some sort of capability, you know? Because I think there's a few different layers there. Like you touched on, does this delight customers? You know, well, it, it's, that sounds to me like it's a paramount consideration for you to say, well, you know, does this, will this improve the customer's experience? Will this make the customers uh, more sticky to the brand? Would it, would it facilitate something easier for them? Great. You know, customer delight is number one. But there's a sort of a, a capability, like I would say, you know, often with um, with standing up 
technology in a enterprise brand, your customers are not necessarily the people who are buying from you. The customers are the people within the business to, to help enable them to facilitate stuff. So for example, a CDP, the customer mm. is mostly the MarTech practitioner, the marketing manager, the digital managers who are going in and using the tool. And so that's facilitating internal capability, but a customer is actually the people who are on the tools that are trying to serve your real customer. that are the people walking out on the streets out there, you know? So it's a, I think it's a quite interesting, like when it comes to a vendor uh, assessment, like who is your customer at the end of the day? Mm. Is it, is it the people internally? Is it your investors? Because sometimes that can be the case. Uh, or is it the people that are sort of actually buying from you, the actual customers, you know? And I always find that question quite interesting. Who's your actual customer here? when you're going to buy this thing. Um, but I do think you're right, right? Bring it back to the customer delight, bring it back to the customer need and then focusing on that first and then looking at other impacts is a, is a really great way of thinking about it. So I want to talk about 2022. Uh, this is our first podcast for the year. And you're probably thinking like most people in the industry, what is going to happen in this year? Is it going to be as crazy as 2021? <laughs> you know, is yep. it going to be just another year of massive innovation and change and stuff we have to learn about? Uh, but I want to understand, what are you thinking about moving into this year? What are some of the considerations for you and your team in your own practice? Yep. And, uh, and what are you planning for? Yeah, look, you know, I think, you know, if the last years or the last two years have taught, taught us anything is, you know, you can't predict anything. So, you know, I you take this with a giant grain of salt, but it's, you know, certainly something I've been thinking about in, you know, over the Christmas holidays, because, you know, there's, there's, there's still going to be further uncertainty in, you know, in, in the world that we live in. I think it's just the reality. But I think, you know, I think in terms of the, the broader MarTech trends, I think there's, there's a couple of big things coming up, which, you know, I think should be, um, you know, should be major themes in the next couple of years. And I've certainly been talking to my, um, you know, my, my team and my leadership team about this, because I think, you know, first big, you know, well, not so big observation is I think CDP is going to become the new front door for MarTech. I think, you know, the way the vendors are working, you know, everyone's falling into large, you know, big ecosystems. And I think, the CDP not only will be a rally point for marketers because it's going to be the source of truth from um, our customer, you know, our customer data, but I think it's going to evolve to the point where, you know, I think MarTech practitioners, practitioners will actually be using the CDP as their front door. So, you know, I'm really kind of prepping the team to think about what, what's, what's this new normal going to look like? And I think there'll be a point, you know, probably not this year in the next couple of years where, you know, your interface into the MarTech stack will start to consolidate. So you don't have to operate five different platforms. You're going to have, you know, a single front door. And the CDP is going to be one of those big front doors. So 2022 um, I, will be the year of building that front door. I think so. I think it is the building the front door. And I think attached to that is, you know, to our long and lengthy discussion about data, I think because it's going to be the front door, MarTech teams are going to be the customer data custodians for the mm. business. You know, they're going to be the primary data ethicists. They're going to be the data custodians and advising internal teams, you know, their internal customers on, you know, what I've started to call the art of the data possible or the data impossible when it becomes ethically challenging because, you know, they're hands-on in the data all day, every day. So I think it's only natural that the MarTech teams will be looked to 
to, you know, become that advisory point, which, you know, happens a little bit under the radar. You know, it's just a given that, you know, oh, I'll just ask the, you know, EDM guys what, what they think. But I think that's going to be now um, a more a more definitive role for the MarTech teams. And, I, you know, I really want to start solidifying that in my practice is, you know, come to us with your data problems first before you design your campaign. Mm. Yeah, I think that overlaps really nicely with the, this emerging, um, I think a more of a pressing need around privacy and data governance and then building that capability around that. I think, uh, I think what you're saying here is probably what a lot of other um, heads of and uh, enterprise brands around the region are probably thinking as well. It's like, yeah, how do we start um, yeah, looking towards building those tools for privacy and, and facilitating, enabling the team to do that? You know, that's not a question that probably you're just asking is most enterprise brands are asking that right now. It's triggered by change. It's triggered by consumer uh, attitudes, uh, regulation, privacy uh, needs yep. uh, around regulation and then also platform change from the bigger tech companies. And so um, it's an interesting one. I think building the front door of MarTech is a very great vision to have for 2022. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see uh, more leaders like yourself um, with an eye to build that capability for the team so they could tap into, um, you know, that rich data and to be able to build those, facilitate yeah. those experiences for absolutely. customers. Um, and yeah, it's just absolutely wonderful to see that happening more and more and more and, and more investment going into that uh, that particular stream of work. So um, thank you, John, for joining us. Uh, I'd like to finish with a question about where we can find you online. Um, where can we connect with you and uh, and what you're doing with Medibank? Um, well, um, I think LinkedIn's probably the best. I'm a giant LinkedIn uh, junkie, so you'll see me. I'm, I'm a big lurker, so I'm always uh, I'm always reading LinkedIn. Don't necessarily post a lot, hmm. but um, I think uh, you know LinkedIn. If you if you ever need to start a conversation with me, um, you know, reach out on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm always happy to have a chat um, and you know engage in um, any discussion. We will be regularly interviewing people who are featured every week in the MarTech Weekly, people like John, who are at the forefront of this industry. We're delving into topics that subscribers care about. But if you'd like to read and subscribe, you can head to the martechweekly.com. Thanks for joining us, John. Thank you very much.